So I'd like to talk uh, a bit today about samadhi, which is a word some of you uh, may be familiar with. Uh, It's a Pali and a Sanskrit word. S-A-M-A-D-H-I. And uh, go into the meaning of that and the development of that and the uh, some different aspects and implications of it. So when I was uh, when we were thinking about about this retreat, one of the primary questions was, well, is it going to be helpful to people? Is it going to be you know worthwhile for people? And I reflected on it a little bit, and I thought, well people will develop metta, which is a lovely thing. They'll develop that quality of heart. And then, hopefully, there'll be the exposure, the chance to (coughs) open to the kind of insights that come from metta practice. And then also there'll be the opportunity to develop samadhi. So three three possibilities, any of which, or, or any amount of which, are all uh, completely worthwhile, would make this time here worthwhile to someone. So, this word samadhi, um, in, in, in different traditions, actually means different things. So, I uh, just uh, like to use it in quite a particular way. Um, traditionally, it, or rather in the Buddhist tradition, what not maybe what the Buddha meant, but what has come out of that is actually that metta practice is something that's pretty much only good for samadhi. Only good. Uh, I'll explain what that means. Um, also, what's come to us through the tradition is that this word is usually translated as concentration. Concentration. And with a particular meaning to the word concentration, meaning <coughs> the way sort of uh, laundry detergent is concentrated. You know, it's like a lot of it in a very small space. Uh, in other words, a very narrow focus of the mind. So, kind of microscopic, looking at experience through a microscope. And that, that has come to be implied in the word samadhi. Now, that that's actually, there is some, some benefit to, to being able to, to make the mind small and narrowly focused like that. There's a certain amount of power in it. But if one goes back to the Buddha and looks all through all the volumes of what he said, you can't actually find anything implying anything like that at all. So, for some reason, that's what's come to us. So rather, I would like to use Samadhi, what I I feel is more the the Buddhist sense of the word, uh, which is more something like collectedness, collectedness of mind, collectedness of mind and heart and body, something maybe even better, unification. Because there's a sense, as uh, John was talking last night, you know, often we're, we're kind of out of contact with the body, a little distant from the body, uh, or the mind and the body feel like two very separate things, disjointed. Or the mind is just scattered here, memory, planning, worry, whatever it is, obsession. And so samadhi is this uh, unification of the mind, unification, unification of the mind, the body, and the heart. One of my teachers uh, uses the phrase, uses the translation, 
depth of meditation, which I like very much. <clears throat> so, Samadhi is really pointing to uh, a sense of the meditation the process of the mind uh, sinking in a very lovely way into its depths, in, in the way that the, the sea is calm in its depths. Now, this is actually... Uh, we can talk about a range of states of samadhi, certainly. We can also talk about a continuum, a continuum of depth, a continuum of unification. And this is, I feel very much, it's a lifelong exploration. So it's not just something that's a little bit then we forget about. It's something that all of us as human beings have the potential to grow into and to explore. And usually it's a very gradual, very slow process of exploring it. <clears throat> so it's an investigation, a lifelong investigation, exploration of the depths of consciousness, of the depths available in consciousness. Um, also of the kind of expanded perceptions that come about when the consciousness deepens. And all of this, not to grasp too much at these words or the possibilities, but just to know that there are possibilities and that we can move in a very lovely and gradual way to explore some of this. And, and why? Well, because it is very lovely. It's really, really very lovely. Of, of the lovely things that are available to human beings, Samadhi is uh, really up there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but more than that, although that's that's already quite something, we need a sense of nourishment in life. We need a sense of loveliness, and deep loveliness, deep nourishment. Uh, a sense of beauty that comes with that. A sense of rest, and, and very deep rest that comes with that. And this is something we really, really need as human beings. We're generally pretty frazzled, pretty scattered, pretty undernourished <clears throat> on a heart, on a being level. Often we don't even realize that. So this rest then uh, allows us to be actually more available to others, which of course is a big part of what Metta is about. More available to others, more available to ourselves, more available to life. And brings a freshness to life. Uh, it's almost like the quality of life actually can begin to feel like it's, or actually it does increase as the mind learns to settle down that way. Freshness to life, fresh discoveries in life come out of this settledness of mind, this unification. Fresh perceptions. And really <clears throat> a sense of receptivity in that. So that our typical way of being in the world, which is I'm here, you're there, uh, we're separate, I'm trundling along in my life, all, all this, this is part of the human condition, that with samadhi we're ac actually maximizing the receptivity of the mind to other ways of seeing uh, ourselves, seeing others, seeing life. And it's those other ways of seeing that are potentially liberating. So the significance of samadhi is, is actually huge, it's huge. Usually, when people talk about samadhi, they, they, they're talking about uh, taking one object, like the breath, uh, which we've now put, put aside and working with the metta, or the metta is one object. 
So we're taking, uh, in, in the instructions here, we're taking one object, which is the metta, and just the mind staying with that as much as possible. And that's usually what's implied in samadhi, staying with one object. But actually, samadhi in itself, in the broad sense, is something bigger than that. Uh, and it can be that we're actually have a very open awareness, and not necessarily staying with one object, but there's a sense of this unification happening because of the uh, non-entanglement with things that come up. There's just a free, open, easy, uh, and wise relationship with what's coming up. And that wise relationship uh, brings the unification, brings the depth of mind. It doesn't have to be just with one object. And as the, perhaps as the retreat, in fact definitely as the retreat uh, goes on, we'll be exploring uh, what that means to open it up to. Usually, uh, the mind moves. Even if we're practicing, you know, insight meditation, the mind is on this, and then it's on that, and then it's on this. So the mind is moving a lot. And oftentimes, even if we think we're being mindful, the relationship with what we're mindful of is actually not all that skillful. There is some degree of pushing away what we don't like or trying to hang on or something. It's not that skillful, not that uh, conducive to depth of calm. We'll see as the retreat goes on that actually to have a relationship of metta, of loving kindness with what comes up, is actually, uh, well, potentially... uh, the most skillful kind of relationship to have with what's going on and going on, and that skillful relationship is uh, brings with it this step, this deepening, I should say. So, of all the of all the sort of things that it's possible for a human being to understand or, or master or have some skill in, you know, you can think. I don't know if you want to know what the Guinness Book of Records is. It's this sort of big book of weird things that people do. <laughs> and they get famous because they can do that more or, or better or faster than anyone else. And so, you know, things like you can stack coins on your elbow and then do that and catch them all in one hand. And some people stack, you know, whatever, 60 coins and catch it. And, and some of it's pretty amazing, you know. Um, <laughs> but if we really think like, and, and actually, something's very beautiful, you know, uh, the, the ballet or, or musical facility or, 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 you know, see a great football player or basketball player. Something really, actually, I, I feel very deeply beautiful in that. But to really ask, actually, in this life of all the things that we could, the skills, that, that the, the crafts that we could develop, what's really worth developing? And this, uh, this samadhi is something that a human being, it's... Uh, one of their best friends, to have some facility in that. And we often underestimate its importance and its power and its significance. But if you look at the, the Buddhist teachings, I mean, it's hard to just turn a few pages without him going on and on. It seems just constantly repeating himself about the importance of samadhi. Uh, in the, in the, I feel that in the so far in the West, and the Dharma is very young in the West, but it, it seems like we've kind of sidelined the importance of samadhi a little bit. Uh, so I, 
I'm pretty sure that will change just as the Dharma grows up in the West, but uh, so far we've, we've tended to sideline it. So samadhi is important, as I say, brings this well-being, this healing on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level. Uh, it also brings insights. Just by itself it brings insights. And not only that, but it um, it's like the perfect soil for insights to grow in. So when there's samadhi there, it's really the optimum conditions for insights to occur. So when the mind is scattered, not unified, we can think we see something, ah yes, impermanent, I understand, fantastic, or, or whatever, something about the way our particular patterns of, of uh, contraction or, or difficulty. We see, oh yeah, I see it. If there isn't that samadhi, what tends to happen is we see it very clear, and then five minutes, five weeks, five, uh, you know, however long later, um, yeah, um, it, it doesn't seem to stick. Somehow it doesn't seem to stick. We've had the insight, but it didn't seem to really make a difference to our life. One of the primary reasons for that is there isn't enough samadhi. The soil wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite rich in nutrients enough. It wasn't quite enough uh, moisture in the soil. Sometimes we have insights and they're just on the intellectual level. They're just, I, I see it with my mind. But there's something about samadhi because it involves the whole body, the whole being. Actually, the insights really go deep. They go very deep down and they stick. Almost like they're in the cells or in the bones. So, how do we develop samadhi? How does it come? Um, we have, as I'm sure uh, you're all aware, and just being a day or two on retreat, if you've forgotten, it becomes quite obvious. Again, we have lifelong habits, basically, of, of being scattered, of being entangled in things, of not being uh, collected and calm and unified. And that's really a lifelong habit. Uh, and so to... First of all, to have some compassion for that. This is, as I said, I think, in the opening talk, it's just, it's just part of the human condition. On the most sort of basic level, though, uh, just the steadiness of practice is really what begins to, to, uh, to give life to the samadhi. So that means there's a schedule just, just coming to every sitting, just doing every walking. Uh, don't underestimate the power of something that seems so... Uh, futile, and not to judge too quickly where it is that our mind seems to be. And this transfers, of course, to everyday life, to have an everyday practice uh, that we do every day. There's something about the steadiness of the form. So wh whatever I feel like, I feel great, I feel really inspired about meditation, I feel completely disinterested, I feel like crap, doesn't matter. That steadiness uh, just the word, steadiness, the steadiness of the form, it finds its way inside, finds its way inside, uh, and becomes, a, a slowly, slowly becomes a steadiness of mind, a steadiness of the heart. And in that steadiness is the beginning of strength. And the strength is uh, a factor that we really need in life. That sometimes we're just swamped and bowled over 
by what's happening. Or something happens and we realize, gosh, I was so in it and it seems so huge. Why does it seem so huge? And later it doesn't seem so huge. It's because the strength wasn't there. And we're just swayed. So samadhi has this strength in it, but it's a very pliable strength. It's, a very, it's like uh, there's a softness to samadhi. And these are uh, indispensable factors of mind for the path, and something that we really need probably more than we realize. So the steadiness of form, the steadiness of the form of sitting and walking, and then the steadiness of just doing the practice. So returning, in, in our case now, to the phrases of metta, when the mind wanders. Uh, and then sometimes it feels like I'm really staying with either a feeling of metta and can really let the mind stay with that for a while, or staying with the phrases. The mind is quite steady for a few moments, or seconds, or even minutes. And so just that, the simplicity of that, this is how samadhi begins. Begins. Not to not to underestimate the power of, of what seems like the most trivial basic steps. When the Buddha was asked what the most significant cause for samadhi was, he said something that might at first sound a bit surprising. He said, happiness. Happiness is the most uh, the thing that most leads to samadhi. A happy mind can, can uh, settle itself, can uh, become unified, can, can sink into the, uh, the beautiful depths. So happiness is actually a fruit of samadhi. When there's samadhi, the happiness comes in a very natural way, a very organic way, uh, from that collectiveness, from that unification. But the Buddha is also saying, actually, it's also something that that is a cause for samadhi. So this is quite interesting. Uh, and in, in my experience, it's, it's absolutely definitely true. So that when people come on retreat, uh, especially for an extended period of time, just to make sh- you know, we usually make sure with them, is everything sorted out you know, in your life as much as possible, as much as possible? Just have you tied up any loose ends and all that? So this kind of simplicity of being actually lends itself to happiness. Gratitude. Okay. So these are the kind of qualities we have to think about. How can I uh, feed happiness? What can I reflect on in a way that brings a sense of gratitude? How can I nourish that sense of gratitude so that a sense of happiness can flow out of it? Freedom from remorse, so that means taking care of uh, our ethical behaviour, that we don't, uh, that we can feel actually happy and proud about how we are acting with each other. That's really, really important as a basis for practice. Appreciation, again, is linked to gratitude, but uh, maybe being at Gaia House, maybe being with a group of people uh, so committed to the Dharma, so committed loving kindness, so committed to practice, uh, appreciation for uh, people here, the managers who are uh, taking care of us. All, all this is, is it, how can we open the heart in a way that, that uh, nourishes the happiness? 
This is something to actually reflect on and, and take steps towards. Really important in the, uh, as, a, as a foundation for Samadhi. Uh, just one's own love of the Dharma, one's own love of practice, one's own love of exploration, one's own love of stillness, of quietness, uh, to allow that in. Nature, I mean, for myself, that's a huge part of uh, just the connection with nature, we're in a very beautiful part of, of the country. Is that something that we're allowing in that to feed the practice, to feed a sense of happiness? So as I said, samadhi is not this sort of, okay, I'm going to put blinkers on and do this sort of microscope thing. It actually has a, 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 a beauty, even in the beginnings of it. There's an openness to beauty. There's a, there's a, a width, a breadth to it. As, as, this, uh, as the mind begins to settle... Uh, through through uh, taking care in the basic ways I've said so far, uh, what we begin to see is that it's a completely non-linear process. It's completely non-linear. And I've talked to uh, monks who've spent decades living in caves and forests, basically decades of their life devoted to this exploration of the depth of consciousness of samadhi. And they say, yeah, you know, sometimes... <laughs> It's just really hard. The mind just doesn't settle down. It's always going to be like that. Always. And not to expect it to be different. It's, a, it's never a linear process. It's always got to have these waves to it. One of the signs of maturing in practice is actually we've learned, we're learning to expect these waves. So the hindrances, and you're familiar with this word, the hindrances to meditation. Uh, to really expect them and accept them. Well, we can learn to see them out, okay? And we can also learn to work with them. And this is really important because it's not going to be this lovely, uh, smooth ascent into the heavens of bliss. Uh, it's going to be pretty much a rough ride. <laughs> that, and pretty much you can expect every time there's a deepening, Somehow, for some reason that I don't think anyone's really figured out yet, there tends to be a backlash. <laughs> so you feel like everything, wow, it's open to a new level, and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> don't know why, but that's just the way the human mind uh, unfolds into depth for some reason. <clears throat> when it's rough, uh, what we can begin to realize is this is just the mind doing the mind's patterns. It's just the human mind doing the human mind's patterns. We don't have to be taken for a ride with it, uh, by it. So, for example, I think uh, Catherine's going to talk about aversion tomorrow night. So aversion is one of the hindrances. When I sat down first to do metta, my very first uh, experience of metta 20 years ago, uh, sat down, great, sounds like a great idea, sat down, listened to the instructions, tried it, fuming with rage, <laughs> coming out of my ears it was. Uh, and what's going on? Um, aversion is what's going on. Anger. So to expect these things to be there. Now sometimes they're very subtle and sometimes they're quite strong. 
the difference, the important thing is, as as we get maturity in the practice, we actually realize, oh, it's just aversion. It's not actually that the person sitting next to me uh, deserves to be kicked out of retreat. <laughs> or something. We tend to think that uh, it's the situation that's a problem. And the maturity is, oh, it's just the human mind uh, with the seed of aversion, and that seed of aversion has has come and made a, a little, uh, usually ugly, plant of aversion. And that's just what it is. And to recognize it for what it is, we don't have to get so caught up in the content of what the aversion is saying, or what the greed is saying, or what the restlessness is saying, or, or whatever it is, or the doubt. This is a real sign of maturity. Oh, it's just that. I don't have to be pulled into the story of it. And this comes with practice, it comes with maturity, it's just, oh, okay, just a hindrance, strap in, you know, it's, it's okay, it's really okay. Don't have to be sucked into the story. Also with maturity, we don't have to take it so personally. Oh, doubt again, oh, sleepiness again, oh, greed again. Uh, I'm such a lousy meditator. I'm such a greedy person, I'm such an angry person. If I were da 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 then this wouldn't happen. It's the human mind. It's in the Buddha's words, anatta, it's not me, not mine, it's not self, it's not who I am. It's just the mind has these seeds. Human minds have these seeds. From the day you're born till the day you die, unless you're completely and utterly enlightened. has these seeds in them, they're not self. Don't, it doesn't imply anything about ourselves. So can we actually begin to see, and this is part of maturing in samadhi, this is part of the insight of samadhi, can we see, it's just stuff, it's just human stuff, doesn't say anything about me. I am a human, I have a mind, this is what it's going to do. And can we actually begin to look at it that way? It's not me, it's not mine. Don't have to take it personally. Can we have some kindness towards what's difficult in meditation? We'll be talking much more about this as, as the retreat goes on. Not getting so much into reaction because a certain difficulty is around. So in the instructions, uh, we're taking one object, which is metta, and we're returning to that, so samadhi in that sense, so far. In, in my experience, uh, both for myself and, and teaching, uh, it's very common for, quite soon often, when people take an object, whether it's a breath or metta, for a sense of tightness to come in. And then usually, if you're, if you're sitting in an insight meditation retreat, what happens is the instructions move quite quickly to opening out. And then there's a sense of oh, just being with everything and not staying with an object like the breath. What happens for most people is that when they open out, the tightness that they felt in trying to stay with one object goes away. That's ah, oh, lovely. So the answer is ditch, ditch the trying to meditate on one object and just kind of relax and open out. And that has a certain 
benefit to it. But is it possible, actually, that we can uh, can find a way of working that that's not not that doesn't feel tight or doesn't feel um, uncomfortable or limited that way? So usually, it's my experience that people shy away from samadhi for a number of reasons. One is this tightness that comes in, very normal. One is the whole notion of seeming to be striving or orienting towards a goal. It's very understandable. And one is the question of, uh, and I'll go into these in more detail, one is the question of, if I'm staying with one thing and getting nice and calm, am I suppressing something else that needs to come up? Am I suppressing some emotions that come up, need to come up? Am I suppressing some part of my... Uh, being that needs to come up, and that's that's a very intelligent and important question to ask, and it reflects a kind of uh, integrity and honesty when people ask that question. That they really, you know, let's let's look at what's going on here. Am I am I hiding from something? So to un- unpack these a little bit, how can we practice? without this sense of tightness, or work with this sense of tightness. tightness. Uh, samadhi actually has a kind of softness to it. It's one of the characteristics, one of the qualities of this unification of mind. Is actually there's a softening. Softening of the being, softening of the heart, softening of the sense of the body. So, how to move towards that, and not so much of this tightness. One way, or one important factor, is actually that the, um, what we might say, the mindfulness, the awareness has a bit more breadth to it. So as I say, it's not this total microscopic thing. A bit more breadth of the mindfulness and an awareness of the body as a whole. How the body is feeling. How the body, the sense of the body at any time. And the sense of the emotions at any time. In other words, what's my emotional relationship with the practice right now? Is it tight? Is it disinterested? Is it grasping? Is it uh, striving? And we can actually feel that emotion and feel it in the body because that will be reflected as a kind of contraction in the body if the mindfulness has a certain breadth to it and is aware of the body. So this breadth is actually a very important factor. When we feel that tightness, can we, see, can we actually just begin to relax it? So, awareness of the body, the whole body, just uh, seeing if that tightness can be relaxed in the body. And sometimes it can, just by becoming aware of it. So, samadhi is not the case, uh, or, or moving towards uh, this unification, this, this deepening. It's not the case that, you know, all that sleeping clench your jaw and you grit your teeth and you're right, I'm going to go for it. The whole question of effort is, is really, really crucial, actually. And, and it turns out that it's, uh, it's a very subtle, it has a lot of subtlety, this question of effort. So you can't be too clenched and you can't just throw the whole uh, baby out with the bathwater, as the phrase goes. First thing, are we coming from a place of kindness to ourselves? So we are aspiring, 
to transformation, we're aspiring to opening. Can we just take care of where we're coming from as much as possible? Coming from a place of kindness. And maybe periodically to check in uh, with, with where we're coming from, as I say. If there is tightness, sometimes it can be relaxed. Sometimes it's, we may just have to actually accept that that's what's there. Okay? So can we be okay with a sense of tightness? Can that sense of tightness actually be accommodated in a larger awareness? It's really okay. Sometimes it has to go through a sense of tightness. I was speaking with uh, <coughs> someone about their meditation practice uh, a little while ago. They were struggling with this for a while, and we had a conversation, and they went away. And they actually came back and, fig- and figured out for themselves. Uh, I can't remember what I said, but obviously it wasn't very helpful. <laughs> they came back and said, uh, uh, it was just a matter of actually accepting that the tightness was there. And once they had just accepted that, uh, then that, that's what the quality of the awareness was. There was just some tightness. It actually made a big difference. It made a big difference. As the retreat goes on, we'll be talking about even perhaps going a step further and beginning to turn the meta itself on uh, the emotions, on, for instance, a sense of tightness. So we'll really go into that in, in more detail. But can there be kindness even to the sense of tightness? So there's needs to be a, a growing, deepening sensitivity to the whole question of effort. I think it's really important for samadhi, it's also very important for insight, it's very important for love too. Uh, sometimes there's more of a relaxance, more of a just, um, put it another way, um, that the awareness might be receiving the phrases, or receiving the breath, if, if we're working with the breath. Uh, and sometimes more of a probing sense. And this this uh, balance is very connected with effort, when it's more relaxed, there's less effort at space. Uh, very important to, to play, important word, play with this balance. So it's really, this is something we, we need to explore for ourselves, make it very personal, very alive, very meaningful for ourselves. We can actually do this and do this, and do this and do this, and see, ah, what's needed now? How does it feel? What are the effects? In meta practice, this actually uh, has has other uh, implications, because we can, and already now we're giving the meta to ourselves, we're giving the metta to ourselves, so we're giving, uh, but we're also receiving metta. So sometimes in doing the practice, uh, you can tune into the sense of what it is to feel that flow of giving, and sometimes tune into the flow of, I'm receiving metta now, I'm receiving that goodwill. And what does it feel like to be in the, in the receiving of it? Both are important. And some of us need uh, practice, actually, at receiving love, not only in giving it. Sometimes we, uh, for all different kinds of reasons, we we put up uh, barriers and defenses to actually receiving love. So sometimes it's good in the practice to, to really tune in to that quality, 
feel oneself receiving. So, if there's too much tightness, it can actually cause cause the mind to spin off in thinking. It's like um, uh, a banana that's peeled and you're squeezing it, <laughs> and it's like that it might shoot shoot off out the end. It, it somehow too much tightness in practice actually causes more thought. Can do. Sometimes too much, too much relaxation actually causes this kind of sinking, which then just spins off into tiredness. So this is something that's is very delicate. This whole question of effort is very delicate, and is very connected with uh, love at a very deep level. Actually, when there's effort, there's a sense of me being somewhere, trying to get somewhere else. Now, there may be some acceptance in that, but if we talk about a really boundless love, a boundless acceptance, there's a duality there. This and that. I am here and I want to be there. That duality, that separation, uh, at a very deep level, uh, a very deep level of love, that's exactly what gets uh, ended, that duality in all things, not just between self and other, but between things. This question of effort is connected with, at a very deep level with a sense of duality, and the sense of duality is very much connected with a sense of love. So as I said, it's a very delicate, very, there's a lot to learn from playing with effort, and really understanding it for oneself in a practical way. People also shy away from the development of samadhi because it's, as I said, because it seems like a goal-oriented practice. But we have all kinds of goals in life, and maybe we actually need goals in life. And some are very simple. You know, when the, at 5:30, when the bell goes for tea, probably most of us it will be our goal to go and go and have a drink and eat tea. Well, there's no problem in that. It's very, it's very simple. Life goals don't have to be a problem. And there also doesn't have to be that much attachment uh, in the samadhi. In fact, samadhi doesn't really lead to a sense of attachment, contrary to what, what we might hear. We can. This is something that we can really enjoy. When there's the mind calming down that way, we can really begin to tune into that sense of enjoyment. And that enjoyment, even if it's very quiet, just, well, it's just... No, nothing to really write home about at this point. Uh, that is very beneficial and very much what helps the samadhi deepen. So when there is a sense of enjoyment, just letting the being open to that, letting the being be touched by that. When the Buddha talked about love and compassion, loving kindness and compassion, he called them Brahma Viharas, which translates as divine abiding or divine dwelling. So this is actually something to 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 live in love is to live is to dwell in in what is divine for a human being. So samadhi is also a kind of dwelling. It's where is the mind dwelling? Is it dwelling in in that? depth, in that uh, stillness, in that calmness, in the enjoyment of that, or oftentimes it's 
you know, as humans, it's, it's not. It's dwelling in what's really difficult. Actually, obsessing is a kind of dwelling. So some problem, some issue, some uh, thing about ourselves that we don't like or are having trouble with or, or in relationship. And the mind just goes round and round and round and round and just sticks to that and can't, can't seem to disengage the mind from it. So exhausted by the end of the day, you flop into bed and, and you get what's called poor man samadhi. <laughs> Spend the night, hopefully some relief. And then, and then you wake up and, and <laughs> it just starts all over again. Uh, but this is, this, uh, this is where we dwell a lot of the time. And so to deepen in samadhi is to actually learn, the mind learns to find a home, the heart learns to find a home, a dwelling in, in a more lovely space. Really, really crucial. When we're doing the metta practice, what we're actually doing is replacing all that mess of negative thoughts that's so often around, replacing that with actually thoughts that are skillful, that are helpful, that are calming and conducive to calm. Okay? So it's actually difficult to have the metta phrases going and be really, really involved in something else. I... Uh, some years ago, took on as a practice uh, to to do the meta phrases all all day, no matter what I was doing, as, as much as possible. If I was not, if I was talking to someone, but uh, just going down the street or in the shower or what, whatever it was, and to to take that on. I think it was a few months I did it for, and to really take it on. And at first, um, I noticed there was oh, well, I'd rather be thinking about whatever it was. And then I sort of <laughs> began to give a close look to what it was that my mind sort of spent its time thinking about. And generally, uh, it wasn't particularly interesting. I don't know uh, if your mind was anything like mine, but it was really not very interesting. <laughs> it was extremely uncreative. I can't even count how many times I had the same thoughts. Very unoriginal. Uh, not at all helpful, generally. And so... Very shortly into this sort of uh, time of, of sort of ongoing meta practice, I just thought, actually, to have the meta phrases is just way nicer, way way more helpful, uh, just much better thing to have, uh, much better inner environment. Slowly, slowly, and gradually over time, uh, we get less enticed by the the. the the compelling, the seemingly compelling nature of what goes through our minds. You know, all these issues and these things that we need to think about and figure out. Um, they begin to lose their, uh, their uh, you know, compellingness. It's usually gradually pro a gradual process. Uh, and instead, we begin to really acquire a taste for a mind that's a heart that's uh, unified, that's calm, that's deep. Uh, and it really is, for most people, an acquired taste. It sounds great. I mean, maybe you're listening and thinking, I don't know, maybe you're listening and thinking it sounds really boring, but uh, um, it can sound great, but uh, it's actually, for, for many of us, it's an acquired taste. We're really not used to it. We're not used to it. 
And so in the practice, we can see, <coughs> uh, you know, we get off into some train of thought. It's actually, in the formal practice, there's no, really no even need to finish that thought. It's, pro it's not going to make much difference whether you get to the end of that thought or not. Is, is my happiness, I mean, am I going to be happier for finishing that thought? Probably not. Am I going to be mis more miserable? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Similarly, you can notice if you're doing walking meditation, you know, uh, maybe you're in the walking room and someone comes in. Who is it? And so the mind wants to go, it's a natural tendency of the mind. Or you're outside and the car goes by. What? Who? who what? <clears throat> Does it make much difference to my sense of well-being that I know it was a, a red Ford Escort that went by? <laughs> Uh, or whatever, or so-and-so that came through. It really doesn't make any difference. And so we learn the compulsion of things that we're so addicted to. It begins to just lose, in a very real way, very in-the-moment way, not in an abstract way. Not interested. And the mind becomes interested and loving uh, this this uh, centeredness, this, this collectedness. Okay. As as this collectedness uh, begins to deepen in the being, um, probably not for everyone, but for some people at some time, uh, there can arise uh, what's called piti in Pali, P-I-T-I. Uh, that's usually translated as rapture. Okay? <clears throat> and this goes back to what I was talking about. Uh, if, if there's a feeling of enjoyment um, in the body, no matter how subtle or, or quiet it seems, how not so much of a big deal, uh, sometimes this PT, this, this feeling in the body, can be extremely so strong. So strong that it's un uncomfortably strong. It just, the whole body starts shaking with it and uh, uh, just really off the scale kind of ecstasy. It's, it's quite rare, but it, it, it certainly does happen. And there's a whole range. So basically I'm just talking about, uh, and again, not to grasp all this stuff, but just to just to introduce. There's a whole range of uh, of this, this what's available in, in, in this word, Peter, from just a very quiet sense of... Uh, of pleasant feeling in the body, maybe located in the body, maybe throughout the body, uh, to to really strong, overwhelming waves of, of ecstasy or bliss, okay. and it's a whole range. It could be like a, a kind of tingling, or it could be a feeling of lightness, very pleasant lightness, or expansion that feels very lovely, or warmth. Uh, So not to grasp at this, but just to know that this is, when it comes, and, and again, this is not permanent, it can't stay forever, but if it comes, and when it comes, to, to open to that as much as possible. Uh, even if it's very quiet, and usually it is very quiet. Uh, but just to really allow that in, and actually let the mind go there, and let the mind go into that. So <clears throat> in the meta practice, it might be typical uh, for a nice feeling to be in the heart area, or centered around the heart area. And so to really let that nice feeling be part of the practice. 
in a way to center the practice around that nice feeling, in that nice feeling, in that pleasantness, in that enjoyment. So to center in it and also to open the being to the enjoyment. And sometimes the enjoyable feeling is, as I say, maybe in, in the heart area, maybe in the face, in the head. Uh, maybe it fills the whole body and, and actually we can sometimes allow it to fill the whole body. So again, this is all part of the craft, the art even, of samadhi. It's, it's really an art and it's a lifelong art, so please not to grasp at any of this. It just is part of the whole terrain and sometimes <clears throat> it's a little uh, strange to hear about things if we haven't experienced them. We think, oh, I should have, or when will I, or that's the only thing that's important or something. But just to, have, uh, just to paint a bit more of the big picture and... Um, and to, to be okay with having a sense of where, where things may unfold. Uh, and that's just actually just the beginning, and, and really there are infinite depths of samadhi. It's really uh, an infinite journey into depth, and a whole range of states and uh, states of consciousness that can open up. So what allows this PT, this rapture, what allows that, what encourages that? Uh, one of the ways, and the sort of most traditional way, is that the mind is with its object, either the breath or the metta or the phrases, and it's sort of, and one way of thinking about it, it's like rub it, two sticks rubbing against, the mind is rubbing against the object, and the friction causes the sparks, and that sparks is the pleasant feeling. <laughs> I think that's traditional, I hope I didn't make it. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's the traditional way. The mind, instead of being scattered, it begins, because of the collectiveness, to actually gather energy. So when it's scattered, the energy is being pulled. Piti, that pleasantness, that rapture, is actually a kind of energy. And so as with the collectiveness there, the mind begins to gather energy in a very organic, natural way. And then that energy expresses itself as, as pleasantness. Interest is very related to PT. Uh, when we're really interested in the meditation, interested in the feeling, <coughs> interested in the phrases, that interest lends itself to PT. <coughs> Sometimes, actually, P the word PT is translated as interest. So they're very related, very related. And we can tell when we're, we can notice even outside of meditation, when we're really into something. Actually, if you check, there's there's a feeling of pleasantness. Ah, really interested. There's, usually it's very quiet outside of meditation, but there's there's that feeling of pleasantness. And so to tune into and allow and enjoy. Openness of being, actually. Uh, openness of being is really uh, what very, very conducive to this rapture. So what does that mean? Finding what that means. Just that the energy is open, the life is open, the receptivity is open. This is why nature and everything I talked about earlier is important. It brings an openness of being, as if the channels are then open, and, and those channels can allow this movement of, of PT. Uh, when we get down to it, it's actually... <coughs> a non-entanglement with things. That's the fundamental uh, cause for arising of PT. When the mind is not pushing, pulling, obsessing, grappling with things, then there can be that PT. 
And again, that has very much uh, something to do with metta, because metta is a non-struggle. Metta towards experience is a non-struggle with experience, and we'll be, as I say, we'll be going into that aspect of metta as the weeks go by. <clears throat> so this piti, when it's there, is very much to be encouraged, very much to be encouraged, this openness, this interest, this everything that allows piti. For some people, for many people actually, uh, when the mind begins to settle in samadhi, or, when or even also this piti when it comes, it can actually bring fear, it can be quite fearful. Well, the Buddha, one of the five sort of most prominent fears that the Buddha listed was fear of unusual mind states. Uh, so <laughs> Uh, it is unusual. It, when the mind begins, we're just not used to it, the mind settling down. And so there can be some fear in that. <clears throat> and just to know that's really okay. And if there's a breadth of awareness, we can be, uh, the mind is settling, I'm aware of that, and I'm also aware, as I said, of my emotion about the practice. Maybe it's fear. Can I then, without pushing away the fear, just very gently incline the mind towards the pleasantness of the depth. Just very gently. You don't need to push anything away. And so the mind gets slowly, slowly used to the new terrain. So everything I'm speaking about today, Samadhi, it, it's, it's really speaking about uh, this whole retreat. So it, some of it may not seem relevant on the second full day of a retreat. That's fine. Uh, it's for the whole retreat, and actually for the whole of our life. As I said, this is a lifelong exploration. So just to, <coughs> um, just to hold it as something uh, for now and, and for always. Samadhi, as I said, has this quality of softness to it. One of the things that begins to soften with Samadhi is, is the sense of the body. The body softening, the boundaries of the body begin to soften, can begin to soften. What can also begin to soften is the sense of self. So usually we have a very fixed, rigid kind of sense that I am here, I stop here, and you begin there, this is not me, and uh, the whole sense of self is, or a self-image is quite fixed, rigid, and uh, set. <clears throat> As the uh, samadhi and also the metta deepens, both, both together, uh, the sense of self can begin to soften, can really begin to attenuate somewhat. There can be a less of a sense of a doer, a meditator. And this too may bring up a lot of fear uh, at times. It can be a, a fear of, existential fear of disappearing, similar to a fear of death. This is not at all uncommon. Uh, some people don't get it at all, and then it's fine, not, not a problem, but some people do. Uh, but again, it's okay, and we can uh, gradually work with this. It doesn't have to be a problem. What we learn is that uh, our fixed views of self begin to lose their fixity, begin to... Uh, instead of just one view of self that we have and we're stuck there, and this is where it is and it's rigid, we begin to let go of that and open up to different ways of seeing self. Who am I if I'm not caught in some issue, caught in some views, 
or sphere of thinking. <coughs> Who am I when the thinking, me, if it calms down? Am I still me? Am I the same me that I thought I was? When the sense of self attenuates, uh, this has a lot to do with the sense of life, because <coughs> when there's too much of a separation between self and other, that's perhaps the primary block uh, to love flowing. So love, in a way, is that coming together, communion. Samadhi, anyway, should, I, I very strongly feel, <coughs> It should have love in it. Uh, somehow, when the mind collects, calms, deepens like that, it sh there should be a quality of love in it. Love for oneself, love for others, love for nature, love for all things. Uh, there should also be this quality of receptivity that I was talking about, just an openness to some kind of wonder in being. Occasionally I've, I've come across people where that isn't the case. Somehow the mind is really, really, really settling down, getting very focused, getting very still, very deep. And there isn't, there aren't those qualities of love, of receptivity. The person is uh, moving around, there's no sense of openness to nature, a connection, there's no sense of connection with the people practicing around one. Uh, and what I've seen actually is that that doesn't really bear the fruit. It doesn't really bear the fruit. <clears throat> and uh, in one case there was someone practicing for a long time, very, very in, in this way, without that receptivity and love. And then the uh, situation changed and there was quite some difficult health issues, very difficult health issues. Uh, understandably challenging, but the whole, the whole practice went out the window. Completely. Not only in terms of as a resource, but actually as a practice. Just stopped. And I, I feel that for Somali to really go deep in a way that it's really uh, making an impact deep in the being, there has to be that love and receptivity in it. So finally, I just want to touch on this question, uh, the other uh, reservation that sometimes people can have about samadhi. It's this question of, am I suppressing? Am I suppressing emotion or some part of my being through, through just collecting the mind that way? So this is a very, it's a very delicate question, actually. Uh, it's not to rush to too, too soon an answer and assume that I must be suppressing. Uh, I remember uh, years ago, I had uh, been in a, in a certain kind of relationship with someone, and uh, they were, it was actually a teaching relationship with someone, and uh, they were my teacher. And... Uh, it's a long story, but there was there was a lot of anger there. I felt a lot of anger. The relationship ended, and there was a lot of anger. And I went to practice one evening at a meditation center, in, and got quite calm. There was some samadhi there, nothing particularly deep. The memory of this person came up, and the beginnings of anger. 
And instead of going off into the whole big, you know, uh, production of anger and all the uh, the fullness of that and all the story and everything, because of the samadhi, there was just a moment of of anger, no sense of repression, and it, it didn't actually go into anything else. And I, because of the samadhi, there was clarity, and I actually saw, ah, this is something very significant. It's not that the assumption might be that uh, this is what's happened, we're angry, and the anger is kind of living in me, in my heart, in my psyche, waiting to come out. I need to express this. It was rather that because of the samadhi, because of the subtleness of mind, there weren't the conditions there for that anger to arise in the present, which is a very different understanding and has actually huge implications about about uh, our emotional life as human beings, has huge implications. So there, there was a work retreat here a while ago who was experiencing some calmness and also some periods of real real struggle with issues. I can't remember what it was, but it was a whole uh, very involved thing. So I suggested, when the calmness is there, why don't you see if you can just drop in the thought of the issue, just drop it into the calmness, like a drop in the, in the still water, and just see what happens. So she did that, went away and did that, and came back. Nothing happened. And she was so uh, shocked almost by that. Why does nothing happen? Because the conditions aren't there. The anger, the issue that we think lives whole, ready inside of us, needing to come up, the conditions aren't there in the moment for it to be there. It's a very different understanding, very significant. So what that means is the issues that we... We have to be delicate with this. You can't, can't make a black and white thing. I just want to introduce the questioning. Because uh, sometimes things are there and they do need to come up. But oftentimes the issues that we think are so real, so compelling, so needing to come up, are actually... Uh, they don't come up because the conditions aren't there. And we see this with the samadhi. They're, we say in Dharma language, empty of uh, inherent existence. They don't exist by themselves. <clears throat> we usually need to see this over and over, so probably I'm saying it doesn't sound that significant. But we see this over and over with samadhi, and actually it's something very, very deeply significant. We tend to think of uh, samadhi as actually we're creating something, we're creating this calmness, creating this nice uh, state or whatever. Actually, when we really practice and we really look at the question of samadhi, you really understand it's the opposite. We spend our lives creating things. We spend our lives creating a lot of problems often. And samadhi, actually, we're beginning to stop creating things. We're creating less and less. As we go deeply into the nature of love, too, we actually see we're creating less and less when we're doing metta. And it's the things that we create that cause barriers. When we create less and less through the metta practice, through the samadhi, you actually see there's love there. It leads to love because we're creating less barriers. So this question, that I'm just touching on it briefly now, this question of the emptiness of things, 
and seeing that through the metta practice, seeing that through samadhi, it's uh, huge, hugely significant. I mean, it's probably the most significant thing in the Dharma, actually. And when we talk about awakening, that's really what it is. It's awakening to emptiness. What does that mean? And what's its <coughs> effect on the being and effect on the heart? So we'll be talking, hopefully, as the retreat goes on, much more about this and the place of love in, in discovering the meaning of that. Uh, but to understand this, and it's usually a gradual, slow understanding, to understand this emptiness brings, brings freedom, gradually, slowly. And that's the freedom that the Buddha was pointing to. And it's, it doesn't have to be the sudden, you know, lightning strike under the Buddha tree. Uh, it can be just a gradual, sudden movement into freedom that's actually very available, very accessible to all of us. It's really a potential for us as human beings in a very real way. So we just sit quietly for a few minutes. live in freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.